So our next witness is Joseph Bourgeau. Joseph, uh, let's start. Can you please state your full name for the record, spelling your first and last name? Uh, Joseph Borgel, uh, Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, Borgel, B-O-U-R-G-A-U-L-T. And Joseph, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Now, <clears throat> you have a presentation for us, but before we get to that, is my understanding is, is that you uh, had a serious health crisis some time back caused by mercury poisoning. That, that is correct. And because of that, you were literally disabled for approximately eight years? Uh, I was disabled for probably uh, 92, 93. For sure, two years. I was mostly bedridden. And this experience led you to learn how to heal yourself because you had not been able to find the answers in the medical community. Correct. And you literally became passionate about learning about the body and health. Correct. This has now become a lifetime passion for you. One of my hobbies. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you're going to speak in your presentation about your business experience, but one thing I wanted to emphasize is, is my understanding is, is you have learned through that experience about how to get people to work together. That is correct. I've been in... Uh, management uh, since I was in my, since I was 20 years old, and uh, executive uh, leadership positions uh, since 1986. Okay, and I, I just bring that up because although you're not speaking about it um, today, except that I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, you went to Ottawa. Um, you arrived there on January 29th uh, as the trucker convoy was a, was just really arriving and getting organized, and you left on February 16th, two days after the Emergency Act was invoked. And for that time, you worked with the truckers to basically ensure that they worked as a team and that the protest remained lawful. So that, that's why I was bringing about that you basically had gained this experience and you just used that to assist the truckers. That is correct. And I, I did want to ask you if you could comment on whether the trucker protest was peaceful and lawful. Well, uh, I'm not sure I'm the right guy to ask that. Uh, you might ask the 10 lawyers that were there supervising it, <laughs> Sean. Uh, but uh, everything, you know, I've been involved in legal matters, uh, you know, in our business, uh, you know, well, and I'll just stop you, Joe. I'm, I'm really not asking for legal opinions. It's just you yeah. were there, you lived it. I'm asking you, because yeah. the government and media told us they're misogynists and racists and right. it's all violence, and we're seeing pictures of a Nazi flag, and I'm just, you were there. What, what, really, what was that? Like, not a legal opinion. I'm just... What? Yeah, well, you know, as a citizen, it was 100% uh, legal, peaceful protest. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I heard nothing from anyone, including the lawyers, that there were, as a matter of fact, there were two rulings by Ontario court judges uh, that said they could, main, they could continue with the protest as long as they maintain a legal, peaceful protest. And there were two decisions. One related to the horns. Uh, a judge had ruled that the horns had to stop. So there's there's legal precedent that it was a legal peaceful protest and 
everything I observed, and I was in many of the meetings, you know, as an advisor basically to the truckers, and there was never any discussion that was illegal or unreasonable. The people that were there leading, trying to organize a legal peaceful protest are, you know, they're the most intelligent, rational, reasonable people, at least those that were in the meetings. Those that were more, uh, let's say, you know, unable to work as a team to maintain a legal peaceful protest, we encourage them not to be in the meetings. Right. Yeah, no, and, and thank you for sharing with that. I just thought it was important for people to appreciate that you had um, basically contributed in a very meaningful way for really the entire protest and that you were involved. Now, I know that's not why you're here to speak today. You're here to give us a presentation, and I'll just ask you to begin with that. Okay, thank you, Sean. Uh, so first, I would like to start by thanking uh, all the organizers, the leaders, organizers, uh, volunteers for the National Citizens Coalition, uh, National Citizens Inquiry. Uh, I think it's essential that we get to the truth of the matter of the, the many uh, governments, all the provincial, territorial, and federal governments that have been involved and the medical agencies involved in the handling of the man-made, I'll say man-made COVID-19 crisis situation over the last three years. So uh, I, from the get-go, when I heard this was being organized, I'd met with Preston Manning in our Calgary offices at Canadians for Truth. I, I'm 100% supportive of what you folks are doing. This is fantastic. It's in the Canadian tradition here. Uh, I see the kind of the National Citizens Inquiry as a 2.0 to the Ottawa Trucker Freedom Convoy. We're all citizens that deeply value, uh, you know, the principles of freedom and truth and justice. And so I'm very grateful to all of you for what you're doing here. Uh, you know, introducing myself, I think it's really important for me to say this. I'm a father of two adult ch children, and I'm also a father-in-law. Uh, I'm a grandfather of three, uh, born and raised in St. Bruce, Saskatchewan. I'm president and CEO of F.P. Borgo Tillage Tools. I'm president and co-founder of Canadians for Truth, Freedom and Justice. I want to give you uh, very briefly a, a bit about my background because I have a lot of decades of experience in research, in discerning truth. And so I started working with my father. I was 13. I worked with my dad for 20 years. My dad was a brilliant mechanic and a, really a self-taught technician or engineer uh, who invented the Borgo multipurpose cultivator. And I was working with dad through that time. I recall working with dad. Dad would always tell us, I have three other siblings, he, he, at least he told me that, uh, that if you want to solve a problem, you have to get at the truth of the matter. And I, I feel like I had the greatest parents in the world. Uh, they were both always honest with us, uh, loving, kind, uh, respectful parents. So I, I deeply admired uh, and valued my parents, as well as my siblings. Uh, my, I took two years of university uh, in commerce, and with that I set up all the accounting systems in uh, F.P. Borgo Industries, which was founded in 1973. Um, and set up all the accounting systems. I 
I could see Dad needed help in other, other areas, so I ended up working in service and dealing with the problems that we were having with the earliest models of our equipment. There was a lot of demand for them, but they weren't without challenges. So I ended up working uh, quite a bit in problem solving, and so I ended up inventing, coming up uh, using my creative skills uh, and my problem solving skills to invent uh, solutions uh, and to develop new products. So uh, my first invention was in 1979. I, I became the facilities manager and, and one of the project leaders, the main project leader for cult cultivator research in 1980. I designed and developed the uh, Borgo Fibro series uh, cultivators in sizes from 24 to 60 feet. And then in 84-85, a really major invention was the Borgo floating hitch cultivator, uh, which really helped facilitate air seeding. Uh, my father was the co-inventor. He assisted me with it. In 1985, I was exec, uh, appointed to the, my first uh, executive leadership position. Uh, Dad asked me to become the general manager of one of the Borgo divisions, the Borgo cultivator division. Uh, I was... 29 at the time, and I was and, overseeing. And, and Joseph, I'm, I am going to try and kind of speed you up on okay, that. By, just because we're, we're sh I, I want you to spend time on the things that you would say would be a little okay. more important. So thanks. 100%. So, I, so, so that speaks to my executive leadership skill. I had been in executive leader positions since then. In 1991, uh, we founded another division of the cultivator division and uh, that is F.P. Borgo Tillage Tools, and I was president and CEO of that company. And in 2011, uh, jumping ahead uh, 30 years, in 2011, I was uh, nominated and awarded the Saskatchewan Order of Merit. That's what the SOM behind my name stands for. I use it on occasion. Uh, I'll, I'll kid about it sometimes, south of Melfort. Uh, so, uh, for job creation and improving the quality of lives of Canadians. So that speaks to my, uh, you know, management uh, executive leadership. Uh, a 2.0 in my life was I had, in 1984, I had developed uh, serious, uh, you know, chronic fatigue. And, uh, and it, it, over an eight-year period, that continued to uh, worsen. My health continued to worsen. I worked with it. Uh, until 1991. In uh, 91, I had to take a leave of absence for my health because I was so ill. But in that eight-year period, I spent those eight years in the conventional medical care system uh, in Canada and in North America. For example, I was three times to the Mayo Clinic over a five-year period. Each time you go to, to the Mayo Clinic, you go through three days of testing. In those eight years, I never found any clues. Uh, doctors could give me no clues or answers as to what was causing my health problems. So in 92, I was, knew that I was dying, and uh, I made a conscious decision. I remember that moment where I was going to apply my research skills to try to figure out what was causing what had become uh, severe chronic fatigue, severe chronic headaches, and with that, severe chronic depression. Uh, by the grace of God, I say, uh, I was uh, searching and I, in a health food store, I picked up an Alive magazine that had an article 
about a lady who had uh, recovered from mercury poisoning after having her amalgam dental fillings removed. Uh, the light went on at the end of the tunnel. For the first time in eight years, I saw light at the end of the tunnel, and I, con I continued researching mer mercury poisoning, and I had all the symptoms of it. I found uh, a doctor who I felt was the world's leading researcher, uh, Dr. Hal Huggins in Colorado Springs. Uh, he, I went to his clinic uh, in 93, July, August of 93. He safely removed and replaced all of my amalgams and I began to recover immediately. One of the things, significant events in my recovery was in 92, my wife, children and I began eating, from my research, began eating 100% organic food diet and we saw dramatic improvements in everyone's health. Mine, uh, in 92, I didn't have the amalgams out, so I struggled, continued to struggle, but I noticed my capacity to think and reason dramatically improved. And it took me eight years or seven years to regain my excellent health, uh, but I continued to study natural health and healing. And, and that's what led me to understanding how to treat viral infections. In 95, my wife and I had opened a health food store in St. Brew, which I was a participant in for 20 years, and we shared what we were learning with people to empower people, and one of the things that we became good at was treating viral infections. Uh, Dr. David Williams, uh, one of the, who I consider one of the world's leading researchers, uh, had uh, come had, in his research found two products, uh, herbal products, immunophase and bronchophase, uh, which were used to prevent and treat the H1N1 virus. And the H1N1 virus was actually deadlier in my mind than the COVID-19 uh, because it would kill young healthy people. They would have cytokine storms in their lungs and within a matter of days their lungs would fill with fluid and it would kill them. Healthy people. That was not the case for COVID. And so we had that in our health food store and we, tr we helped people recover from H1N1 and from other influenzas. And it was, these were great products. So in 2020, when COVID-19 hit, uh, I, I knew that we had products available that, could, that may work to prevent and treat COVID-19. And then again in April, uh, Another uh, world's leading research doctor, Dr. Joseph Mercola, published information, excuse me, on, on quercetin. And what he had published was that quercetin acted similar to hydroxychloroquine as an ionophore to shuttle zinc into our cells. And it's the zinc that actually inhibits our polymerase enzyme, which a virus requires in order to be able to replicate. So when that came out, because I'm not a doctor and I've never pretended to be one, uh, I began to uh, share that information. Uh, we published a brochure uh, uh, with a protocol because even though uh, anybody can take these products, you have to know how to take them. For example, zinc, if you take zinc, at, and I ran into cases where people we're taking very high levels of zinc. That can actually depress your immune system and cause other problems. So I knew the RDA on zinc, and so I published a protocol 
that I knew would be safe and began sharing that. As well, Dr. Mercola published a lot of articles on vitamin D3. And vitamin D3 also acted to prevent and treat COVID. It coats our ACE2 receptors, preventing the COVID uh, virus from being able to, the spike proteins from being able to uh, dock on our cells, on our ACE2 receptors. So I was publishing that information about vitamin D. So, so what, that leads me to, I understood therapeutics and how to prevent and treat. And over the course of the last three years, uh, I, anyone who asked me for uh, information, I would share information on nutrition, how they could prevent and treat COVID-19. And I assisted over two dozen people uh, to recover from COVID-19, including people who were in hospital who called me. So you can see on that slide <clears throat> uh, the herbal and nutritional supplements that I recommended to people, uh, immunophase and bronchophase, clerstin with zinc, vitamin D, and there are many other excellent uh, supplements, too numerous to mention here. The drug therapeutics I was following as well because I felt I knew right away that doctors should be allowed to prescribe hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, azithromycin, and you can go to that website, uh, www.c19early.com, uh, where it has over 2,600 studies uh, that are, and oh, the, the majority of them are peer-reviewed studies that show the therapeutics that work. So when COVID emerged in January 2019, I, I, I knew that we had solutions, and uh, I was also following the science I was following the uh, Govern of Canada COVID-19 daily update website statistics because we had to deal with, a, with a, some panic situation. We knew that the mainstream media was panicking Canadians, you know, the opposite of what you should do from 30 plus years of executive leadership experience, what you've got to be doing in a crisis situation is you have to remain calm and cool. And, get, and then focus on the pursuit of truth to understand the root causes of the, of the problem. You don't panic people. That's like yelling uh, fire in a crowded theater. And that's what the government was doing to Canadians. They were yelling fire in a crowded theater. And it just, it, it irked me to no end what was going on. And it was affecting our company, our manufacturing company. We have 80 employees. And there was a panic going on in early April. And so what we began to do uh, late March is providing a daily update newsletter to all of our employees telling the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because that's what you do in a crisis situation. We started providing statistics plus the, what they could do to prevent and treat COVID-19, and within a matter of a couple of weeks, everybody's settled down. So, and the other thing that was happening by March, April uh, 2020, Laura Ingram, a lawyer and journalist with Fox News, was interviewing many people who had COVID-19 in the U.S. And uh, hydroxychloroquine at that time was the drug being used. And she was in uh, hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin. Uh, and the way, again, hydroxychloroquine works is a, as an ionophore that shuttles zinc into the cell, and it's the zinc that shuts down viral replication. Azithromycin, doctors were prescribing 
prescribing in cases like Mark Friesen where they had a lung bacterial infection and they had excellent results. The peer-reviewed science that was coming out, uh, Dr. Didier Rouald is a great example. He's a top-rated European vi virologist from Marseille, France, and he had conducted numerous peer-reviewed studies. I was following him, and his largest one was with 1,061 people, and he had a 98.6% uh, recovery with it. Uh, another doctor in the United States, United States, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, another honest, what I call honest truth-seeking doctor uh, from Monroe, New York, he conducted a trial with, over, with a thousand people and uh, he had similar uh, results. Uh, as I recall, all thousand had recovered. So we could see that there was a suppression of, of, of the therapeutics, the mainstream media was suppressing the truth about therapeutics. And that you could tell already by then, in March, April, there was a centrally controlled narrative. And, and I, you know, that's all. I didn't have any factual evidence until Rodney Palmer, at a recent National Citizens Inquiry hearing in Toronto, explained what was going on behind the scenes. But it was evident, but the mainstream media was instructed to suppress all all information about the therapeutics. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, by the fall of 2020, uh, a group of friends of mine and like-minded Saskatchewan citizens, we were fed up with what we're seeing because we could see they were going to kill people, that there was, you know, that thousands of people could die if the therapeutics were not released. So we gathered and in November of uh, 2020 we founded and incorporated Canadians for Truth, Freedom and Justice as a non-profit organization to gather truth and to share that information with Canadians to empower, enable Canadians to take preventative therapeutics like from the brochure that we had published how, how to take quercetin, zinc and vitamin D. You know uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, who needs no introduction, uh, I, I watched many hours of video with him, and I recall one of his statements uh, that if therapeutics had been allowed, doctors had been allowed to prescribe therapeutics, that over 85% of the people who died with COVID-19 would be alive today. So in Canada, we had, I believe, just under 50,000 people that died with COVID-19, over 47,000 of those people would be alive today. And, and I'll, just, I'll just interject, you're meaning yeah. alive if the doctors had been able to use early treatment Correct. with therapeutics, not, not wait till they're so sick they're attending at the yeah, emergency correct. department. And I don't know if you're aware, but apparently in the province I'm from, Alberta, that the College of uh, Physicians and Surgeons literally directed doctors not to give early treatment for COVID, but rather, you know, only treat them when they arrived in emergency wards. And, and I assume that you would be, you would frown on that as a very reckless policy. Yeah, like to me, whoever, I would like to know who is behind making those decisions. I believe they came right from the top. Uh, and when I say the top, people outside of this country who were uh, controlling the, the COVID-19 uh, narrative. 
I believe the World Health Organization uh, was involved in that. I know Bill Gates. I had seen evidence of Bill Gates funding studies to discredit hydroxychloroquine by giving uh, crazy amounts uh, so that it would not work. So there were people behind the scenes who were uh, right. suppressing the truth. And I, I didn't mean to get you off on a segue. So yeah. Like So there were doctors in, in the country, uh, in Can Canadian doctors, uh, Dr. Francis Christian, Dr. Daniel Nagassi, Dr. Charles Hoff, Dr. Mark Trozzi, Dr. Brian Bridal, and many others, uh, Dr. Patrick Phillips, who risked their careers, and many lost their careers, uh, doing the right thing, speaking out publicly to protect the health of Canadians. Like me, they were just incensed that the truth was being suppressed. And so I, I, all Canadians, these, these people are heroes. They're Canadian heroes. <clears throat> As I see it, and many of us, I think we're living in a twilight zone. Uh, you know, I grew up, and many of us here grew up in an era where honesty uh, and integrity mattered. And that if somebody ever lied to us, uh, a friend or anybody that was a perpetual liar, those people were mar marginalized immediately because they're, people who are liars are a risk to society. And so I would ask Canadians, how many lies do our governments have to tell us uh, before we stop voting to elect these people? To me, the therapeutics was the elephant in the room. You know, again, with what Dr. Peter McCullough said, if doctors could have prescribed therapeutics, 85% of the people who died with COVID-19 would have been alive today. And I talked to doctors who attended our meetings of Canadians for Truth. They were frustrated to no end that they knew these medications worked, yet they couldn't prescribe them because they would have had their licenses revoked. So over 40,000 Canadians would still be alive today. Our hospitals would not have been any busier than normal, and normal uh, life-saving uh, hospital visits could have taken place. Face masks that did not work would have been completely unnecessary. Lockdowns that did not work would have been completely unnecessary. There would have been no excuses for the reckless spending of 500 billion Canadian tax dollars. There there would have been no need for an emergency use authorization for an experimental gene therapy injection. There would have been no experimental injections, uh, and that would alone would have saved for sure thousands of injuries, and, and we don't know how many deaths uh, would have been prevented. There would have, we would have not have created all the trauma, division among families, bankruptcies, mental health, problems, the suicides that occurred, uh, the death of uh, due from lack of medical care. This fueled, what's happened here is fueled, like for me, I have zero trust in any of these politicians. Uh, if they speak truth, fine. But if I, I know that many of them are not uh, truth tellers. As I see it, there was massive gross incompetence if not criminal negligence, murder and genocide taking place. <clears throat> you know, everybody in Canada understands that we cannot just go out and kill someone without going to jail for life for doing so. 
according to the rule of law, if someone kills someone, there's, unless it's in self-defense, in order for, to, <clears throat> to get rid of somebody, if somebody is killed and an investigation is conducted, factual evidence is gathered. And if the factual evidence proves beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and, and Joseph, I, I know you've prepared some slides on, yeah. on criminal liability, but we've got a couple of lawyers coming, and I'm just wondering, I, I think your point is, is that you think there should be criminal liability for what happened because Well, the point deaths. is, like, Canadians have to understand that because there are people in positions of authority that if it was not gross incompetence, there's criminal-like negligence. And the factual evidence, to me, that we have gathered shows that there was criminal negligence. And <clears throat> so... So I, I, I guess I hope that in light of what happened with the therapeutics, uh, that Canadians will see that there was an orchestrated effort to suppress that. And whoever was suppressing that, to me, there should be criminal liability. Okay, and, and so just so that people listening to you understand, so the point you're making, and I think you've made it very clear, is, is we had early treatments available. Correct. And that somebody was making policy decisions not to use those early treatments. And flowing from that, there have been a large number of deaths. I think your slide, you, you were estimating 40,000 Canadian deaths. And when you nod your head, but we're being recorded, so... If, yes. Yeah. So, and then if I recall your slide correctly, also we wouldn't have needed the, the lockdowns and, and the vaccine and all the things that flowed from that. So your point is there's been so much harm... Correct. ...caused flowing from this decision that somebody should be held criminally liable for that. Correct. Is that okay? Just, just so that we understand what you're suggesting. So, yeah, so you'll see there's three parts to my presentation, and what I want to demonstrate is that in all three parts, there was a lying and deception taking place. So the next one here is the truth in science. You can see from, if you could show the video here, I think this face mask, this guy wearing a face mask, definitely proves that you would have never stopped a virus that's 0.1 micron from getting past that mask. So that's the physiological aspect of it. As an employer, uh, as president and CEO of my company, I have a responsibility to make sure that all of my employees are kept in a safe work environment. One of our, our First model when you walk into our manufacturing facilities is at Borgo Tillage Tools is our motto is safety, quality, productivity in that order. So know your facts. Under in Saskatchewan and Canada, we have occupational health and safety laws. And so for carbon dioxide levels under OH and S regulations, normal atmospheric carbon dioxide is 400 parts per million. Carbon dioxide in a work environment cannot exceed 1,000 parts per million. That would be, over that is considered unsafe. Over 5,000 parts per million, it's considered hazardous. These are the occupational health 
and safety regulations that we have to follow. The CO2 levels, if they rise over 40,000 parts per million, it's considered immediately dangerous to life and health. And so we, we hired uh, an expert, occupational health and safety expert that is CSA certified trainer to train doctors, nurses, uh, firefighters with respirators and face masks, how to use them. So he came in and he measured behind four different masks and a respirator the level of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So with oxygen, normal atmospheric oxygen is about 21%, 20.9% at sea level. The OH&S minimum in our Saskatchewan Occupational Health and Safety Regulations the minimum uh, oxygen that any of our employees can be exposed to is 19.5%. Below that is immediately dangerous to life and health. And yet we measured the level of oxygen behind these four different masks averaging between 17 and 17.5%. Joseph, can I have you back up a slide? Yep. So when it shows their carbon dioxide levels cannot exceed 1,000 parts per million in the workplace, correct. It, am I correct that if, if it was measuring at that, you would have to clear out the building? Uh, no, you would have to take corrective measures. Okay. Yeah. At, what, at what point do you have to vacate a building? Uh, well, for sure 40,000 parts per million would be dangerous. You, you hear of people going into caves and dying of suffocation in caves because carbon dioxide's heavier than oxygen. And, and so I'll make that point about how dangerous carbon dioxide, at low car high carbon dioxide is with low, low oxygen. Right, but you're basically describing, you had an expert come and measure the carbon dioxide in masks, and just unequivocally they were at dangerous levels. And these are the types of masks the government was mandating that we would wear. Yeah, the government really didn't have any, they, uh, really specific mandates. They, they, they just wanted people to uh, virtue signal that they were putting a mask on. But the four different ones, we had an N95, we had a respirator, which you can exhaust, or with a respirator, you can exhaust the carbon dioxide. And uh, it still restricts oxygen, but it's much safer. Carbon dioxide is one and a half times heavier than oxygen. So when you fill your lungs with carbon dioxide with a mask on, you can't get oxygen. And, and that's where it can kill you. So, so here we have, uh, we measured when some, within two minutes, uh, within two minutes, whoops, within two minutes of putting a mask on, you are breathing carbon dioxide between 25 and 43,000 parts per million. The 43 would occur if you, you would talk, if someone would just talk behind the mask. If someone had exerted himself behind a mask, it would go way higher. And, and so, and then with the oxygen, we measured between 17, it went as low as 16, but the average would have been around, I took a high average of 17.4 which is dangerous. So, so, so when someone was exerting themselves, so what, what do you think, based on what you saw, like if children were, because I saw children running around in play, guard, play yards or school grounds with masks on, so 
they would be exerting themselves. Correct. So it's very dangerous, and I'm aware of cases. We had one case in our company where someone uh, collapsed with a mask on. Uh, there's evidence that it wasn't only the mask. Uh, he had exerted himself, and there were other factors involved in his case. He ended up, uh, you know, he, he, his heart stopped. And our first responders in our company revived him, and he ended up three weeks in a coma in hospital. And uh, he's, you know, he's, he survived it. Uh, it's, we can't discern factually accurately how much of a role the mask played in that because he had other cofactors. He was a young person, though, uh, so they're dangerous. And I was aware of other cases. A woman who was standing in a line at a Walmart and with a mask on. She fainted, fell backwards, hit her head on a, cart, on a cart, and then on the floor. And she suffers brain damage. She's from Alberta. I've spoken with her. You know, in Saskatchewan, we have what's called worker rights. This is posted all over our facilities. You have a right to know uh, about workplace hazards. You have the right to participate in a safety program. You have the right to refuse work if it's not safe, and you have a, the right for protection against discrimination. So we, we live this stuff. Uh, our company is certified under SASM. Uh, we have a bronze certification. We're a company of 80 people. We have a full-time person that's been working at this. We hired him full-time in 2016. We take safety seriously. So when the government is telling me I gotta put my workers in an unsafe work environment, uh, I, I'm pissed. And I let the government know about this. They have this information. <clears throat> so I feel our federal governments and provincial governments forcing Canadians to wear face masks. They violated the truth in science governing human respiratory health and safety. Uh, they risked the life of every Canadian citizen, many were injured due to fainting, hitting their heads and that sort of thing. Uh, they violated the, their own regulations, which are we support 100% because they're based in science. They violated the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and they impaired every child's ability to learn while wearing face masks. So there's a lot of lying going on here. A lot of lying and deception, ignoring the truth in science, ignoring the laws that govern our existence here. So one of the things that we're doing at Canadians for Truth, we published brochures on this. Uh, we have a brochure that we are handing out to people uh, with what's in this presentation so that people could see. We still see people wearing face masks, like alone in a vehicle. You know, we have to, we have to educate our citizens because... The truth matters. It can kill you. You pass out in driving a vehicle, a semi, you could kill a lot of people. It's literally insane that our governments are going along, are, are not educating our citizens. So at Canadians for Truth Media, because our media is not doing this, this is what we're doing. We're creating educational and entertaining programs to inform Canadians and to teach critical thinking skills how to discern truth on important issues such as face masks and therapeutics uh, because people, this can save lives.
we need an educated, enlightened population. And we need Canadians to understand their legal rights. So we're bringing lawyers in as well to help educate in our shows to help educate Canadians. We, we need Canadians to vote to elect honest, truth-seeking, moral, ethical, and highly competent politicians who would, want, who would be willing to take an oath to always seek truth, to uphold the rule of law, to serve the Canadian people who elected to serve them. So in this next presentation, the third part, uh, I'm going to overlap a little wee bit here with uh, Dr. my good friend, Dr. Francis Christian, to support what he did. Uh, and to reinforce, we had submitted a document to the provincial government on May 31st at Canadians for Truth. This was before Dr. Francis Christian had gone public. He was discerning the statistics as well. He went public on June 17th, I believe. That's the first that I was aware when Dr. Christian had, had gone public. Uh, the group of us in Canadians for Truth, we went to the Government of Canada website. Statistics Canada does, generally does a very good job of providing statistics. And so they have that daily uh, COVID-19 update website. And so it was with 100% disbelief and alarm when the federal and provincial chief medical officers in early 2021 began promoting experimental gene therapy injections for Canadian children under 19 years of age. The infection death rate statistics were near zero. Out of 265,000 uh, cases, and there were many more, uh, there's science showing that over 90, uh, a peer-reviewed study that shows over 90% of Canadians had uh, COVID-19, most, the vast majority were asymptomatic. And so here, 11 kids, had they given them therapeutics, those kids would likely be alive, or at least 85% of them, according to Dr. Peter McCullough. So the kids, uh, the necessity of giving, even if the vaccine, this experimental injection worked, worked the idea of giving it to our kids, like that was insanity, pure insanity. So we worked long, hard days, 21 straight days, to produce a, a, a report. Uh, uh, the title of it is Risk Analysis, uh, Assessing the Risks and Harms of the COVID-19 mRNA Injections Versus Using Zero-Risk Therapeutic Drugs and Natural Supplements, Making Informed Decisions Based on the Facts. We were expressing our serious concerns with experimental uh, COVID-19 mRNA injections that were developed at life speed and never tested on animals. And now they were going to be using our children as, as guinea pigs. We knew that these injections were going to kill, seriously injure and potentially sterilize because that's one of the side effects. It goes, the mRNA goes to the prostrate and to the ovaries and, and the immune system will attack and, and destroy those body parts. So they were going to potentially sterilize our Saskatchewan Canadian children. So we warned, we wanted to warn Premier Scott Moe, and we sent that report to Premier Scott Moe and all of the SAS party MLAs. So they were warned. That's why I wanted to do this part of the presentation, Dr. Christian. I felt that, uh, that they needed to be, that they were, they were warned. So here, the survival statistics showed for kids that were infected 
265,011 died with COVID. That was one in 23,000. Uh, 99.956% that had COVID, diagnosed with COVID, uh, had a full recovery. And that's without therapeutics. Uh, the, the statistics also showed that two and a half times more kids died each year the previous three years. Two and a half times more children died with, from influenza than they were dying from COVID. So can I just stop you there so that people understand what you're saying? Is when you're talking about influenza, you're just talking about the regular seasonal Correct. flu Correct. That, that comes through. So yes. Statistics Canada, if we were to back up for the three years before COVID hit, yeah. We had actually two and a half times more children dying from the average flu than from, from COVID. Now, am I right, and I'm just guessing here, that for the year where they're attributing deaths to COVID for children, there were no influenza deaths? Yeah, that's the other thing. So, so actually, there would be fewer children deaths <laughs> if we would just call COVID a flu season. Yeah. There would be fewer, because every year we Correct. lose children yeah, to the flu good season. Point. So that for the COVID year, even though we're getting all panicked yeah. about it in the media, there were fewer child deaths that Correct. year. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted the people yeah, listening to you to understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are a group of Canadian doctors, and I won't, uh, uh, well, I think it's probably, is it safe to say? <laughs> uh, you know, there are, there are a group of, of Canadian doctors and nurses that worked hard uh, to warn parents, to tell parents to make an informed consent decision. And so at Canadians for Truth, we worked with these doctors and nurses to publish. They created a website we helped fund and these brochures, uh, COVID Kid Facts, and you could, you could go to that website. I, I think the website is down, but if anybody wanted to read uh, they had put together very good information to warn parents, uh, you know, to make an informed consent decision before injecting their children. You know, and this is stuff that's coming out now. Uh, the American Heart Association published a study uh, that 98% uh, of the all cases of myocarditis uh, among children are due to the mRNA COVID-19 injection. Uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon, that quote that's on the bottom there, uh, children are 50 times more likely to die uh, from the COVID-19 vaccine than from the virus. This is Dr. Michael Yeadon, who is a, a former vice president of Pfizer that has stood up loudly against this. So again, had the therapeutics been there, uh, we would have saved the children who died. And parents would have had nothing to worry about uh, had they used therapeutics like quercetin, zinc, uh, vitamin D at whatever their body weight levels to prevent and treat COVID. This was one of the, what you see here is one of the protocols that we had published uh, on our website, and we posted this also on Facebook at Canadians for Truth to warn Canadians uh, and, and to help keep people out of hospitals. So I find it uh, completely, as a Canadian citizen, it's completely unconscionable, and I don't know how uh, 
you know, Canadians can remain silent while they're killing our children. Uh, you, know, you know, all I can do is encourage, as we've been doing, encouraging people to share the truth because we can't force people uh, to wake up. But we need to keep sharing the truth as, we're, as you folks are doing here. Uh, Dr. William Mackus, an honest, truth-seeking Canadian doctor from Alberta, has done more to track deaths and injuries from the experimental injections uh, that are, have been killing and injuring our kids than any of the governments. And the numbers are pretty alarming, the number of kids that, uh, have, been, that have died. Way more, no comparison. So, our, again, our governments ignored the statistical factual evidence on their own website. Our governments ignored the death and injury statistics from bears in the United States. They could have looked over the border. All the information was there. This was, you know, this is, again, criminal as I see it. So on a final note, uh, you know, I, I want to say, you know, we have, we have much more work to do, but I remain optimistic that with God's help and guidance as Canadian citizens, uh, if we work together in pursuit of truth and continue to do as all the truth-seeking Canadians have been doing, to organize and stand up uh, with, with the science, do it in a respectful way, as much as possible because obviously our challenge is to awaken the, the Canadians that are still asleep. Uh, as I see it, one of the ways that we're going to win this is, is if Canadians that are educated to understand what has taken place here over the last three and a half years vote to elect the most honest, truth-seeking people. And I would also encourage people that are honest truth-seekers to get into office at every level federal, provincial, municipal, run for office, you know, those who have been standing up because it's one of the ways that we're going to regain control over our country is if we can get principled leaders back in positions of authority in our country. I ran for the leadership of the Conservative Party in March, April of 2022 because I'm, I'm fed up with uh, electing politicians who value power over the principles. You know, in any good leader understands that, you know, number one is we have to do God's will. And God's will is for us to love, to be respectful, kind, to help one another, to pursue truth, uh, you know, to solve problems. When we seek the truth, the truth sets us free. And to recognize that every Canadian has a God-given free will and we can't force anything on Canadians. We can only uh, pray and do the best we can to educate people with the truth and also to stand up for justice and freedom. So when I ran for the leadership of the Conservative Party, I, w I told the truth like I'm doing here. And I thought if they throw me out of the race, that's fine. I have done God's will. And that's what God wants us to do, is to do his will by being loving, kind, respectful, and always telling the truth as res respectfully as we can. And if we do that, I believe that as Canadians, we will succeed in defeating the dark agenda 
that has been taking place the last three and a half years uh, if we continue to work together. So with God's help and guidance, uh, we will not fail. Uh, so God bless Canada, and we will stand on guard for thee. Nope. Joseph, um, <clears throat> I, before I hand you over to commissioners, there's actually one thing that I've just been waiting and waiting to ask you, because you were talking about how as an employer, and, and you guys have some significant sized companies, you have like provincial legal obligations to make sure that you're um, ensuring your workplace is safe. But under the criminal code section 217.1, an employer can also be criminally liable for criminal negligence if you know how they direct work is done causes a harm or death. Did you guys have any discussions about like whether or not to impose a vaccine mandate and, and what types of things kind of came into play as an employer when you guys were being faced with that? Well, like I, I won't speak uh, for my brothers uh, who also own manufacturers and manufacturing companies in St. Pru. We employ approximately 88, between my brother's companies and mine, we employ approximately 800 people in, in St. Pru. And, but I know my brothers are truth seekers like myself, and uh, my understanding was, like in our company, and I believe Jerry and Claude handled it the same way in their companies, we, we respect freedom of choice, and, in, and we respected, we did not want to discriminate against anyone whichever way they wanted to go, so we respected everybody's freedom of choice. There were no mandates in our community for anybody to take any experimental injections. Okay, so you're an example of uh, a workplace, you know, collectively as a family that didn't impose mandates, that just honored people's right to decide how they were going to treat their bodies. Correct. And um, compared to other companies, what types of outcomes did your companies experience? Well, to my awareness, like, I am not aware of anybody dying of COVID. Um, you know, I, we were aware, we were keeping track of people for at a time, of people that were injured or died from taking the injection. Um, we had no, you know, there, it was creating some division, a bit of division in our companies, but, you know, I've learned from experience, if you handle things in a principled way, you know, you have to respect one of the principles, God gave everybody free will. And so it's not for me to tell you or anybody what they should do. If they're open, I'm going to sh we shared with people uh, the statistics that showed there were all the people in our company under 70, and most everybody's under 70. They were at zero risk from COVID-19, plus the therapeutic information. Right, but I'm just I'm going to focus yeah. you because I was, you know, we're, we're running late and we've got a couple of other yeah. witnesses. But just were you aware of any other, like, companies that that had worse outcomes, like, I have the impression your companies actually had really good outcomes through this experience. Yeah, we did. I'm aware of companies that were forcing their employees to take injections, and they lost uh, many good employees uh, as a result, because those people refused to take it. So, I... Okay, and I'm going to hand you over to the commissioners to see if they have any questions. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Bogu, for this very interesting presentation. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of the natural products that play a role in, in preventing COVID, and quercetin was one of them. Uh, 
You mentioned the worker that was published by Dr. McCullough. Are you aware of the study that was done in Montreal by uh, Michel Chrétien? No. It, this was in the mainstream media in Quebec. For and, and this is on quercetin? Yeah. He was all excited about it. He's a, sci a real scientist, and uh, he was very excited. I've seen it for maybe two to three weeks, and then it vanished completely from yeah. the horizon. Again, I mean, to me, that's an example of, I will speak about what's going on in Canada. I'm, I'm very happy to learn about what you've done. But we have a team of people also in Quebec that has done similar work, and I think that as I go across Canada, people are not very aware because of the language barrier, which is unfortunate. And um, that another example of um, uh, clinical trial, very successfully done in Montreal in Institute Cardiology by Dr. Tardif on calcitian. This was actually praised by Dr. McCullough as one of a very promising treatment for some indication in, in uh, COVID. Have uh, you heard of that? Uh, no, I, I have not. I'm sorry. I, I do believe uh, that if I felt that the doctors, if we would have wanted to save uh, tens of thousands of Canadians, it would have had to have been the doctors given the authority to prescribe these, whether it was ivermectin or or hydroxychloroquine with, with azithromycin. Natural supplements play a really critical role. Uh, you know, mil, you know there, millions of Canadians are aware of this as well. I'm not, I would be one of probably millions that are aware of this. I, I thought your study or the work you've done on mask and potential side effect for health uh, are very interesting because this is something that people have hypothesized that wearing this device could actually lead to all kinds of issues with the buildup of CO2, for example, which is really bad for your health. Uh, when, you, when you started those studies, were you aware of the science that, was actually, that would actually support that kind of warning about wearing the mask? Well, we knew the occupational health and safety science that we could not put an employee in an environment where the level of oxygen, uh, carbon dioxide would be above 1,000 parts per million, and we knew that we couldn't put in an employee. That's all in our occupational health and safety rules, regulations. That we so we understood that. What I didn't know, so I hired a guy, uh, an expert, to, with a CO2 oxygen uh, monitor to come and measure, and we recorded this. This is all on video. Uh, we are actually planning on launching a lawsuit on it. So to the best of your knowledge, the health authority, whether in Sask Saskatchewan or in Canada, are not aware of this potential uh, health hazard? Well, can, just a short story. So uh, we, we, in our company, the way people were wearing masks, we told them that if you are alone in your office, or six feet away from others in workstations in the manufacturing facilities that you wouldn't have to wear a mask. Somebody possibly reported, doesn't matter, somebody possibly reported us. So three government officials came in unannounced and met with myself and our general manager and our human resources manager. 
And I explained this to them, and they made a lot of notes because they didn't know any of this. So. so, so is it acknowledged today with the new data that is coming from the work you've done or other people that wearing masks on a constant basis could actually be a serious health hazard? Is it acknowledged by health authority? You know, I mean, uh, I would gladly work with any government official on this information to get it out. Uh, you know, no government has, no government agencies have reached out to us to get this information out there. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned that it makes no rational or logical sense to be experimenting with our children. When we think of universities and colleges and the K-12 system and now our preschool, where all those educators who have the credentials behind their name were responsible or facilitators of their programs, what would you say to them now, knowing what they have done to our children and understanding what masking is doing? Well, I, what I would love to see happen in our country is that we return to teaching, uh, you know, the basics of uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, fine teach computers, accounting, uh, but critical thinking skills, what I observed here in our country, I believe that what we saw, 70 to 80% of the Canadians, including professionals, have no critical thinking skills. If you know, to discern the truth is easy. You set the goal of truth, you keep an open mind, you listen to what anybody with any uh, expertise has to say, and you do your research and gather the facts, as you would in a criminal trial. You gather the factual evidence, and based on the facts, using deductive reasoning and logic, you can discern the truth. That's so simple. Why are we not teaching our children and university students how to solve problems? Thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. Bergholt. Hi. You talked extensively about the government in, uh, and what they've done, but I would like you to comment briefly about the, the role of their, um, role of the media in this, the role of the colleges of physicians and surgeons. I mean, the government government couldn't impose this on their own without without uh, assistance. So can you talk a little bit about that, the role of the media and the, and the colleges in Saskatchewan? Well, agreed. Uh, you know, obviously government, you know, like a premier, unless you've had experience, you know, unless you're a doctor or you've had it life experience like myself, uh, you know, you're government officials are going to have some difficulty in discerning truth on medical issues. So they rely on doctors and scientists for this information. And so, but surely in Saskatchewan, in a province with 1.2 million people, or in Canada, there would be medical, and we have them, medical professionals like Dr. Francis Christian. There are many of them that were speaking up, and they were silenced. So, you know, they're, to me, silencing the honest, truth-seeking doctors in our country, to me, that's criminal, what they did. Because those doctors could have saved millions, you know, uh, 
those around the world, they could have saved millions of lives, but in Canada, they could have saved over 40,000 lives. The media, I think Rodney Palmer, I can't encourage people enough to listen to Rodney Palmer on his presentation of what was taking place behind the scenes. Obviously, uh, the Liberal government, a Liberal NDP government, using hundreds of millions of dollars to buy our media to shut down journalism, uh, the words of Rodney Palmer, uh, truth-seeking journalism had gone out the window. They became a propaganda arm of our governments with this narrative. And so there's criminal activity in the media. I believe there's criminal activity in, in our medical agencies. I believe they're controlled. Uh, Health Canada, I believe, is controlled. The pharmaceutical industry is there. And I think the World Health Organization, which Dr. Astrid Stuckelberger, a World Health Organization scientist, explains really well what's going on at the World Health Organization and how it has been corrupted uh, by Bill Gates and his organization, Gavi. So there's corruption right from the top. One last question, sir. Um, considering your extensive background in industry, I'm sure you're somewhat aware of the anti-combine laws in Canada. And could you comment on how the, how the uh, current state of the media, uh, the fact that we have so many mergers, and they just announced a big merger in Canada with the media organizations, how, how would this be allowed to have happened in Canada considering the anti-combine laws that you were subject to, and do you think what has happened is a benefit or a negative to Canadians? Well, thank you for that question. Like, diversity to me is nature. God is diversity. And in, I've never had trouble with competition in our industry. It's essential to have competition. I don't see anything that's going to correct this, this monopolization, this centralization that is taking place in our society. And at CanadiansForTruth.ca, I really encourage people to go there and read the principles that we espouse. The, the foundation of a just society and an enlightened society, I believe, flows from these basic principles. Recognizing God as our creator and all the principles and laws that he created to govern our existence. And so I think we need that type of political leadership, principled leaders that are not going to put up with bullshit and corruption. We need incorruptible and, and, people in positions of leadership and, and Joe, in our country. Joseph, can I just, we've got a couple more witnesses and we're going to be yeah. sitting past six. So, um, <clears throat> and you kind of segued off the question. So, Okay. Sorry about that. And no further questions. Um, Joseph, on behalf of the National Citizens Inquiry, we sincerely thank you for attending and giving us this testimony today. Right on. Thank you.